Jesus put the disciples in a situation where they were without his visible and physical presence. In other words, Jesus was saying to the disciples, all right, you have learned to trust me when I am visibly, physically with you. But now I want you to learn to trust me where you cannot see me. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And today, Colin, we come to a message from Matthew 14 called Destructive Fears. And we're going to look at one of the great stories in the New Testament. Picture this. The disciples are in a boat. It's dark. It's night. Jesus is not with them. And they can't even see him, but he can see them and he's praying for them. And he comes to them and he says, do not be afraid. This is a marvelous picture of what we need to discover in the Christian life. When I can't see Jesus, Jesus can see me and he draws near to me as the one who delivers me from fear. That's a big issue for every Christian and the Bible speaks directly to it today. Well, if you ever struggle with fear, you pick the right day to tune in. So let's go straight to the message destructive fears. Here's Pastor Colin. Now, I want us to think together this morning as to what it means for us to overcome the fear factor through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I invite you to open your Bibles at Matthew in chapter 14. Folks say from time to time, I'm a visual learner. If that's the case, let me remind you that the best visual learning you can do in church is to get a Bible open in front of you, because there you will find the very words of God, and you will be able to follow what it is that God, by his Holy Spirit, would teach you. So if you will open to Matthew in chapter 14, Matthew in chapter 14, we're coming to one of the Bible's great stories on overcoming fear. And I'm going to begin with verse 22 as we walk through the story together. Now you notice there that we're told that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. Now that's very significant. Notice it. Jesus made them get into the boat. In other words, more than likely, they were saying, Jesus, we'll stay with you while you dismiss the crowd. And he said, no, I want you to get in the boat and you go on your own to the other side of the lake. Now, remember that the disciples had already been in a storm on this lake with Jesus in the boat. Matthew tells us about that story back in chapter 8. We thought about it just a few weeks ago. But the important thing about this particular story is that Jesus put the disciples in a situation where they were without his visible and physical presence. In other words, Jesus was saying to the disciples, all right, you have learned to trust me when I am visibly, physically with you. But now I want you to learn to trust me where you cannot see me. And of course, that's what makes this story especially interesting for us, because that is exactly what it is like for us in the life of faith. We have to trust a Christ who we do not see, a Christ who is with us, but we cannot see him. Now, we are told, verse 23, that after Jesus dismissed the crowd, he went up the mountainside by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it's buffeted by the waves because the wind is against it. 
Now, here you have, if you can put these pieces together in your mind, a marvelous picture of the Christian life. The disciples are obeying Jesus' instruction. He told them to go over the other side of the lake. He got them into this situation. But they're finding that as they obey Jesus, they're running into all kinds of difficulties as they're trying to row through the lake. But while they're obeying Jesus' instructions and getting themselves into all kinds of difficulties in the process, Jesus is on his own up on the mountain and he's praying. They cannot see Jesus, but Mark in his account of this story makes it very clear that Jesus sees them straining at the oars. That's Mark 6 and verse 48. Now here is a marvelous illustration, if you like, of what it is like for us as we live the Christian life. We have launched out in obedience to the command of Christ. We're committed to obeying him and living for his glory. But as soon as we launch out in that kind of life, we find that it is much more difficult than we ever had thought it would be. We find that we're up against some very strong currents that the Bible calls the world, or that's the culture, the flesh, and the devil. And these currents pull and push against our desire to progress in obedience to Jesus. But as we're struggling with that, and sometimes, like the disciples pulling on the oars, we feel we're making very little progress, Jesus is praying for us. That's what the Bible teaches. He has ascended to heaven. He's gone up to the highest of all places. And in heaven, he is interceding for us. That means that he gives himself wholly to representing us before the Father, praying for us. We cannot see him but he can see you, and he knows everything about you. And I'm sure the disciples, being quite unaware of Jesus' ministry of intercession and unaware of the fact that he was watching them at that very moment, they must have been pulling on the oars and saying, my goodness, it's all very well for him to tell us to do this, but does he realize how difficult it is? Ever felt that about the Christian life? Well, verse 25, as we follow the story, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. Now, that's between three and six o'clock in the morning. Three and six in the morning. Now, remember, they had been on the lake since evening. And Christ was praying for them all through these hours. But for that long time, he did not come to them. He allowed them to struggle against the force of the wind. And I think it's good for us to remember that when we tire of the pressure of the culture or the pressure of the battle that we have against the flesh. You see, faith is hammered out on the anvil of experience, and it is in the struggle of doing the will of Christ that he will make you into the person that he wants you to be. That struggle is one that he puts us into because it's in that struggle that he will shape and forge the strength of your faith. But he knows us perfectly, and as he sees the strength of these disciples beginning to wane between the third and the sixth hour, the three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning, Christ comes out to them and gives them a glimpse of his glory. Here is the Son of God who holds the planets in their courses 
and he suspends the law of gravity so that they may have a glimpse of just how glorious he is as he comes out to them in their need, walking over the water. Now, it's not surprising that the disciples are absolutely terrified. It never occurs to them to say, oh my goodness, this must be Jesus. And for very good reason, because they knew Jesus' flesh and blood. And flesh and blood doesn't walk on water. They knew his height, they could guess his weight. And what was more, they had just shared in the previous story a good meal with Jesus and 5,000 other people. They knew Jesus as a man. There was never any doubt about the humanity of Jesus. And so when they see a figure walking on the lake, they don't say, oh, this must be Jesus. They say, oh, this must be some kind of a ghost. And therefore they're terrified. And so verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And suddenly they have a glimpse of the greater glory of Jesus Christ. They've seen him earlier stop the wind blowing. They've seen him feed 5,000 people with loaves and fish. They've seen him heal the sick. But now they see him suspend even the laws of gravity as he walks to them over the lake. Now you find this pattern in the Gospels that however much the disciples have seen of the glory of Jesus, he is always more wonderful than they have learned to that point. He's always more glorious, more powerful than they have already seen. And of course, that's how it is in our experience too, because however much we have grasped of the greatness and the glory of Jesus, he is always greater than that which we have already grasped. Think of it this way. Over the years, I reckon I have driven thousands of miles round Scotland. I don't think I will ever tire of it. There is a very profound sense in which I can say, I have seen Scotland. But there is a much deeper sense in which I have to say, I have not seen Scotland. Imagine driving in a beautiful country. I know this is a little biased on my part. So if you want to think of Colorado, you do. That's fine. It's, it's very nice too. Um, <laughs> think of driving on a beautiful country road. And you're winding through the mountains. You come around a corner and you see a breathtaking view. And you say, oh, that's magnificent. Then you turn another corner. You say, oh, that's something else. Then you come to a view you've seen 20, 50, 100 times before, and you love it. But you see it today in a lighting that you never saw it in before. And you see that familiar landscape and you say, my, that's new like I'm seeing it for the first time. Now, even the angels of heaven cannot fully take in the extent of the glory of the Lord. And you will spend eternity taking in fresh gasps of wonder at just how great he is. Peter sees a fresh glimpse of the glory of the Lord and he gasps at what Christ can do and his faith grows in response to that. Verse 28, Lord, 
If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. You see, he's still not quite sure. Is this a con? Is this a mirage? Is this a psychological trick? But he knows enough to say, Jesus, if this is really you, and you can suspend even the laws of gravity for yourself, then I know you are able to suspend the laws of gravity also for me. Now, notice that Peter does not immediately jump into the water and say, Jesus, anything you can do, I can do better. (laughs) That is not the story here, and that would be a very, very dangerous misunderstanding. Notice what he says, verse 28. Jesus, if it's you, tell me, tell me to come to you on the water. See, Peter's conviction is not that he can do anything that Jesus can do. That would be plainly false. But rather his conviction is that he can do anything Jesus tells him to do. If you tell me to do it, then it will become possible for me. Now that is a very important distinction. Because if you go out to Lake Arlington after this service and attempt to walk on the water, I can promise you, you will become extremely wet. (laughs) And if you take a trip to Mount Carmel and try and call down fire from heaven, I promise you that you will be extremely disappointed. Why? Because that is not what he is calling you to do. And the Bible never teaches that you are some kind of unlimited battle of potentiality for whom all things are possible. The Bible does not say all things are possible for you. It tells us that all things are possible for Jesus and that which Jesus wants you to do becomes possible for you. There's all the difference in the world. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Destructive Fears, part of our series, Faith with Questions, where we're dealing with the darkness of doubt. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can download any of the previous messages as an MP3 file, or you can simply stream the messages directly from the website. Now, back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. And the Bible never teaches that you are some kind of unlimited battle of potentiality for whom all things are possible. The Bible does not say all things are possible for you. It tells us that all things are possible for Jesus and that which Jesus wants you to do becomes possible for you. There's all the difference in the world. When Christ calls you to do a thing, you can do it. And Peter gets it exactly right. This is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can do what Christ calls you to do. You are not an unlimited potential within yourself. You are a frail human being. But you are able to do what he calls you to do by his grace. That is why Augustine, the great saint, caught the spirit of this in his famous prayer when he said, O Lord, command what you will. You can ask me to do anything, Lord. Just give what you command, because I'm not going to be able to do what you ask of me. 
unless you pour that into me. I love the story of the man with the withered hand. Remember in the gospel, Jesus said to him one thing, stretch out your hand. What an amazing thing to say to a man who can't move his hand. It's the one thing all his life he hadn't been able to do. But when Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand, the Bible simply says, and he stretched out his hand. For when Christ told him to do it, he imparted with the command the ability to fulfill it. So Peter, understanding this, says, Jesus, if you tell me to come to you, then I indeed will be able to walk on the water. Tell me. And Jesus says, verse 29, come. And all credit to Peter. This is one of the highest moments of his faith. He stakes everything on the word of God. He knows the law of gravity, but he hears the call of Jesus. Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm off. He gets out the boat and he walked on the water, verse 29, towards Jesus. What a moment. He discovers that the power of Christ takes him beyond the level of his own ability so that he can obey the word of God in a way that would otherwise be impossible for him. There is another great picture of the Christian life. The Christian life is beyond my natural ability. But Christ gives the power with the command. Of course, that's the great difference between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God is saying, thou shalt. He gives the command, but the Old Testament reminds me that God's commands are beyond my ability. I cannot live the life that God has called me to lead. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ comes and he says, thou shalt. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He takes away its condemnation and gives the life-giving power of the Spirit by which living according to the law of God becomes possible for those who repent and those who believe. He turned the condemning word of the law that we could not keep into the life-giving word of the law that becomes the track lines giving direction to a life that is lived in the power of the Spirit. Well, the command of Jesus makes what was impossible possible for Peter, and he walked on the water. That's faith. Faith that's rooted in the Word of God and is energized by the power of the Spirit. And then the fear factor kicks in. Verse 30. When Peter saw the wind... He was afraid. That's when he began to sink. And I want to ask the question very simply and very practically then, how are we to overcome the fear factor in our walk of faith that is a response to the word of God that Jesus brings to us? I want to identify three very simple things from this story. The first is that it's very important to recognize the power of fear. You see, fear is actually a power that can grip your soul. It is a power that will fight against faith within you. It will battle for control of your mind and of your heart. Now, if fear were simply an emotion, we could ignore it. But the problem is that it is a debilitating power. 
Remember Jesus' story about the man who was uh, servants who were given talents to invest for the use of a master, and the third one wasted his opportunity. And remember the reason? He said, I was afraid. Fear kept him from doing anything useful with the opportunity and the commission of his life. Remember how the fear factor kicked in in the Old Testament when God's people were on the verge of the land of Canaan. The spies were sent out by Moses. They walked through the land and they saw the strength of the enemy. And by the time they came back, 10 of them had been overwhelmed by the fear factor. Now, let me say straight away that some of us will have greater lifelong battles with this one than others. Some of us are more timid by temperament than others. And being born again will not change that. When you become a Christian, you still have to live with yourself. And if you can define your own temperament, you will have defined the primary battlegrounds on which you will fight throughout your Christian life. If you are of a nervous disposition, this will be one of your greatest areas of struggle. God will help you in the battle, but this is where the battles will be fought. Some of us will struggle in this area more than others, but all of us at some point will experience the inner struggle of faith and fear. Peter was by no stretch of the imagination a timid person, but he came to experience the fear factor right at the heart of the story. If you ever struggle with fear, I hope today's message has been an encouragement to you. It's called Destructive Fears, and next time we're going to continue with this as we look at three ways to overcome the fear factor. If you ever miss one of our messages, you can always catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is a listener-supported ministry. And as you make a donation toward the ministry of £5 or more per month, we will send you as a free gift Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Colin, why did you write this book? Well, you know, it's amazing how often six hours can come and go. They just fly by without anything of real consequence actually happening. But one Friday, about 2,000 years ago, there were six hours that really did change the world. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, and through what he accomplished on the cross— the lives of millions and the eternities of millions of people have been changed forever. And uh, the cross, of course, is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And I wrote this book so that you can see what it was that Jesus accomplished on the cross and how everything is different because of it for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to send you a copy of this book as a thank you gift for your donation of £5 per month or more. For details of this offer and how to donate online, go to openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick. Thanks for listening. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. Fear is a powerful tool in your enemy's hands, and it can undermine your progress in the Christian life. 
Find out how to overcome it next time on Open the Bible. From the beginning of May, there's something new on the Open the Bible website. Sue McLeish will be reading Pastor Colin Smith's Daily Devotionals. I caught up with Sue in the studio and asked her what these daily devotionals have meant to her in her own life. (laughs) Well, for many years, I've benefited from reading Colin Smith's daily devotionals, which are available on the website. I've always found them compelling and relevant. And from May, Open the Bible UK will be making them available in audio format on the website. As a retired drama teacher and a person who loves God's Word... I just feel very privileged to be the voice for these readings. If you've yet to try Pastor Colin Smith's short daily devotionals, go to openthebible.org.uk. Sue's readings of these devotionals will start on May the 1st.